As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel, travel to wineries in Napa Valley, and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You'll find Inside Trader Joe's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, who has been racking up the air miles, or I don't know, maybe the, the driving. Did you go from, did you fly from Chicago to Columbus? I did. It's a, uh, it's like a five-hour drive. That's a little too much for me to do at this yeah, time I'm not. I'm not thrilled with anything more than four, but we have colleagues of ours that, that don't mind driving eight or nine hours, so... Not on a trip after I've already been on the road for three days, and I'm just going to be sitting here. So I figured, all right, let me just fly here because I got enough. I got enough crazy travel that's going to happen. Like I'm in the middle of this ten day stretch. It's a little bit chaotic. So um, basically, I'm in Columbus to work on some TV features till Tuesday. I'm going to fly home, take my kids trick or treating for a day, and then fly back right back to Columbus because we are doing Nebraska, Ohio State this weekend so a little bit a little bit of a hectic well i admire your you know being a dad there and uh you could have very easily just set up shop at the spring hill suites or wherever you are there in columbus but you know you're you're traveling cross country to be there for trick-or-treat and i admire that but um we there's a big there's a really big game saturday night in college football with lsu alabama that we were going to get to in a second but i do want to ask about both of your trips from this past weekend. First of all, you went to lovely Evanston, Illinois. You got to take in your first game at raucous, you know, hostile Ryan Field, where Northwestern beats Wisconsin pretty handily and is now sitting alone in first place at 5-1 and one in the Big Ten, which is not something I would have um, said was a possibility when they lost a home to Akron early in the season. Your takeaways. Evanston itself is a really charming, like very pretty place. 
Uh, Stadium is obviously a little bit underwhelming, but their new facilities is, is, is really nice. I mean, everybody's hyped it up, and it's really, really nice. So it was, a, it was an interesting game because Alex Hornibrook wasn't going to play. And so Jack Cohen, who hadn't played yet this year, and they were, they're trying to redshirt him. And so he's, you know, this is going to count as one of his four games. He struggled, and they had a bunch of unforced errors, what I would describe it. I mean, they had turnovers where it was like two of the three turnovers didn't even seem like really Northwestern had a ton to do with it. It was just Wisconsin issues. And Clayton Thorson struggled with his own turnover issues. But Northwestern shortens games, and I, I think they're, they're pretty disciplined. And they got a nice streak going here. I don't know what it was, like 12 out of 13 in the Big Ten. I mean, it's weird because in the middle of that, they got you know losses to, to Duke and lost to a Mac school. But, um, you know, Fitz is a good coach, and I think that it's an interesting team. One of the things we talked about in the game was they have seven starters who Northwestern's their only Power 5 offer. One of those guys, one of those seven is Isaiah Bowser, who's really come on the last two weeks, had 100 yards rushing. He's a workhorse freshman running back, and really, really had a, had a nice game because Jonathan Taylor had two fumbles and really struggled. So I don't know what to make of, of Northwestern's chances against uh, – against Notre Dame this weekend. It was it was kind of a I'll be honest, it was a it was a bizarre game in a lot of in a lot of ways. Just it was just it was just a lot of stuff a lot of stuff went on that day away from the field that was quite honestly pretty distracting and, and kind of consuming. So but anyway that was that was my uh, my take on, on northwestern Wisconsin. You're talking and Bruce is referring to the tragedy at congregation in Pittsburgh, which unbeknownst to me he found out about from me retweeting and uh, about it. It was crazy because I don't check Twitter hardly at all during my games. And then at halftime, I, I talked to Fitz uh, coming off the field as he went in the locker room. And I was waiting. I don't know. I had 10 minutes to, to wait before uh, before Paul Chris was going to come out. And I looked at Twitter and I was like, oh, my God. I mean, and it's jarring. And it's just it's really sobering. and It's really sad. And. You know, it was it was like on my mind, you know, it's still kind of on my mind, but it was, uh, you know, it was kind of hard to stay focused through that just because it's like it is your worst nightmare, you know, and um, and to see that it happened and see some of this stuff. And I don't want to go any further down, you know, further down the road on 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 this kind of stuff, because people people uh, listen to the podcast here to talk about college football. But it, it was, um, you know, it's the first time I think I've done a game where something off the field like that just kind of took me away from the game in my head and I just couldn't really focus on it from that point on. Understandable. I mean, it, it's, it's awful and you're right. We shouldn't go too far down that road here in the, in this college football podcast, but needless to say, I was pretty shaken up that morning as somebody who grew up going to a synagogue, just like that one in Cincinnati. And, and there are obviously, you know, Pittsburgh and Cincinnati are often kind of linked together but just because of their proximity and the river and, and all of that. So I have no way, good way to segue out of that. You brought up, well, you brought up the Notre Dame game. So first of all, it is crazy that they've won 12 of their last 13 Big Ten games, and yet, you know, they're not even in the top 25 right now. They have three losses. And also, this Notre Dame game, if they were to lose this Notre Dame game, which obviously the Vegas odds would say they will, they they would possibly win the Big Ten West and go zero and three non conference. I'm not sure that's. I can't imagine a Power Five team has ever won its division and gone winless out of conference. Uh, but of course, they're not talking about possibly losing a Notre Dame there. This is 
This has been a long time in the making. That game was this home and home was announced in 2011. Notre Dame has not come to Evanston since 1976 or 77, and uh, you know they played four years ago in South Bend, and, and Northwestern was not very good that year and managed to to win that game in overtime. So a lot of people are really fired up for that there. Now, so you go from there to Columbus for this TV feature. You were at Urban Meyer's press conference Monday morning when a, an interesting uh, set of questions came up. Yeah, um, Dave Biddle, who's been around the team for a long time, asked Urban about the rumors around him, about whether he might retire this after this season. And Urban said, I plan on coaching. And Dave Biddle was sitting like right in front of him, like first row in the middle, and then said, so for sure you'll be back next year? And Urban was like, uh, yes. And, you know, it's the kind of question where <laughs> – you know, first of all, Urban Myers, I think there's a lot of people who are very cynical about what he says and, and that. But it's the kind of question where I'm not sure anybody, because as we're taping this, Lincoln Riley's getting hit up with questions about whether he would go be interested in the NFL because the Browns reportedly just fired their head coach, Hugh Jackson. So I mean, it's one of those questions where it's, you know, you kind of shrug your shoulders at it. I'll say this from just being in the room. There was a few questions Urban got asked where you'd look at his body language and it just, you don't want to read too much into it, but he just, it was a little strange. He would give thoughtful answers after a, you know, extremely long pause. And then at one point, another writer asked him about, brought up Kirk Herbstreet saying he looked anguished. And the context of that question being, hey, it's not just some people on message boards. It's somebody who probably knows you about as well as anybody in the media. And Urban said, well, I don't know. And he kind of like, well, I'm not sure what he means by anguish. And he said, Kirk Herbstreit said, you know, kind of like repeated back Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit said that. And he, he kind of said, look, I'm fine. I want to, I want Ohio state to be successful in the worst way. I don't want people to worry about me. And you know, it's all about that. I don't think anything that was said will do anything to, to quiet down the rumors that he might not be the head coach there for whatever reason next year. And also, you know, wrapped in the context of that was they're coming off getting blown out uh, at Purdue. Now, we talked about that a lot with James Laurinaitis last week. But so he was asked about what they did in the bye week and everything else. And, you know, it's an interesting situation. It really is. I mean, I'm curious. Our crew at Fox did did their game the week after they had gotten blown out at Iowa. I do feel like this is a little bit of a different dynamic now just because of everything that happened off the field, with all the Zach Smith stuff. And now, like before that, it felt like a one-off, and this doesn't feel like it was a one-off. So we'll see how this is going to unfold as as the, you know, the last month of the season kicks in. I mean, Ohio State fans aren't going to like it, but those questions are going to persist for obvious reasons. We've been down this road with him before at Florida, where he retired for health reasons twice, you know, came back a couple of days later the first time, then, then left after the, the 2010 season. I mean, you know, you described to us in detail being there when he, you know, fell down, fell, uh, kneeled down on the sideline with the with the intense headache a couple weeks ago. He has looked anguished on the sideline during these these TV broadcasts. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, I mean, Nebraska has a terrible defense, so I I would assume they're gonna score a lot of points on them. But they also have some guys that can get free on offense. Nebraska does so. Let's see, let's see what their defense can do. I mean, it's certainly, as you've learned more about 
the, the whole landscape and you see, okay, TCU is having a terrible season and they had trouble with them. Penn State, I think, you know, they have a good record. They survived last week against Iowa. I think with the benefit of a little distance, they're not quite as elite as maybe we thought they were at the time. And then obviously really rough loss to Purdue who turned around and lost to Michigan State. So we'll see how they finish down the stretch. By the way, I mentioned TCU. I wanted to ask you a question. I'm going to throw out a few teams here, and I want you to tell me who's the biggest disappointment in the country this year. TCU, Washington, which lost 12-10 to 10 to Cal the other day and benched Jake Browning at one point and now has three losses. Auburn, who we've talked about on here uh, before. And uh, who else? Well, you could put Wisconsin in there. Look, I'm yes, going to own up to a couple of bad picks. I thought Wisconsin and Washington would both be playoff caliber teams. They are not. Um, I was actually surprised. Somehow, Washington was listed as number 19 by the coaches' poll. This week, they're 6-3, and three, just lost to an average, at best, Cal team. And they've been kind of sputtering for much of the year. And that surprised me. You know, those are, to me, the Washington and Wisconsin are, are pretty big disappointments. I mean, Auburn, for the first half of the year, was a dud. I think, look, we we think Louisville has been horrible. I mean, I, I don't think we thought they were going to be very good going into the year, but I don't think we thought they'd be this bad, right? You weren't kidding, by the way. Washington is still somehow ranked 19. Yeah, where you you didn't you thought I just poll. made that up? I think I told you that the other day, and you were like, "What?" It just doesn't seem just didn't seem possible. They're ahead of Virginia. Give the give the Cavs a little bit of love. My gosh, let's see who if they're in there. Who did the coaches leave out? That's in the, the AP co- poll. They left out. Well, well, the coaches left. A and M is technically in the poll. I think it's uh, all the other teams. So it's really you're you're trading Washington for A and M, but but is, they're really in there. They're they're in the top twenty. No, That's 19, the part that I don't get. Nineteenth, yeah. That was a bad loss the other day for them. I mean, I have to say TCU. I had very high expectations for them. I actually picked them to win the Big Twelve, and they are now tied for last place with Kansas State because Kansas Kansas got a big win over them the other day. But Wisconsin, you know, I had them in the playoff. But I think some things have happened there that you maybe couldn't account for. For one thing, their star receiver being suspended right before the season. And then they've just had so many. It was an inexperienced defense to begin with, and they've had so many injuries. Dakota Dixon is a, you know, all-America caliber safety. Others as well. So now I'm not saying they, you know, would be in the top five right now if all other things were equal. I mean, certainly quarterback has been a, a problem for them. Okay, let me uh, tee yeah. you up on this. So Washington, and now they've had injuries. Not, doesn't I don't think they've had as many injuries as Wisconsin. Quite honestly, everybody has some you know some level of attrition, but they have a they have a top ten defense, and they are six and three. And I think the one really good game Jake Browning has had this year was the game our crew did when they just blew out BYU. What do you make of Jake Browning? And Chris Peterson pulled him from the game. And then Jake Hayner, their young quarterback who's a backup, only played really in mop-up duty before, threw a pick six pretty easy. And I think that was that was about all Cal managed on offensively. What, what's going on there? Well, I, I feel like we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and you got on me for being too critical of a, of a college player. But I, I don't really know how to say it otherwise. I mean, he, Matt Brown, our, our, one of our editors and just a stats guru, pulled some data for me a couple weeks ago about Tua's, you know, putting Tua's eight-game start in historical context. It wasn't all time. It was over, I don't know, maybe the last decade. 
So it was, you know, quarterbacks who had the, the best first eight games. And Jake Browning was on there. Jake Browning from 2016, his first eight games. He was so good, those eight games, to be put on this list. And now it's at the point where Chris Peterson benches him in a, in a, in a game they were leading at the time, in a road game, just to try to spark the offense. So it's unfortunate. I think he's obviously regressed. Now he did have John Ross when he was a sophomore. They've had some other good receivers, obviously Dante Pettis. This is not the same receiving core, but I, I do think he's, he's regressed in a big way. Let's stay out west for a second. In fact, let's, let's talk about their rival. I went to the Washington State Stanford game on Saturday night. Me and a few, and a few dozen of my closest friends. I got a lot. I put a sent a picture out that got a lot of attention of the crowd right when the game started. Now keep in mind, I'm on the side, the press box on the on the side that's more likely to be full. But this was the other side, and it looks like there's absolutely nobody there for this game between two ranked teams, Pac-12 North showdown. It's really, again, I can't believe the national championship game is going to be played in this area. Gardner Minshew is the real deal. It was, it was, he was in the zone. At one point, he was 19 for 19 in the second half. You know, they got down 28-14. They were down 28-17 at halftime. And once they got going in the second half, there was no doubt in my mind that they were going to end up winning the game. Even after Stanford tied it up uh, with about a minute and a half left, he, he marched them right down the field. He threw a fantastic pass on third and two that ended up going for about 40 yards to set up the game-winning field goal. At this moment, Bruce, the first-place teams in each division of the Pac-12 are Washington State and Utah. Of those two, which do you feel better about? Oh, man, that's not where I thought you were going. You know what? You said Gardner Minshew's been in the zone since pretty much the day he decommitted from Alabama and yeah. <laughs> graduate assistant. He's been terrific. I had him in my Heisman top three going into last weekend, and now I moved him up to number two. Now, obviously... Tua has a wide lead, and we're going to see. What, we'll talk more about Tua in a minute, but um, he's been terrific. I mean, he really has been, and hasn't gotten enough attention. But I think more and more is going to come. I have more confidence in Utah than I do in Washington State, in part because whenever Washington State has played the Apple Cup since Chris Peterson's been there, they have beat the heck out of the Cougars. And until that changes, I mean, it's hard to pick against, pick against them. I know Washington is struggling, but there's been, you know, Washington hasn't had some great years, and they've still whipped Washington State. So there's a chance my crew is going to be there for that game in Pullman Thanksgiving weekend. It'll be interesting. You know, I don't know. You're the you're the playoff guy here on our on our athletic. If Washington State were to run the table, they would be twelve and one. Their non-conference schedule is, is pretty atrocious. But do you think would you give them more than a fifteen percent chance at twelve and one to make the playoff? Did you say fifteen percent? Yes, one five. Yeah, I would definitely give them higher than that. I mean, I know the the narrative has already been established that the Pac-12 is eliminated. I don't think people maybe. I think part of that is probably because people just assume Washington State's not going to run the table. I mean, they've they started seven and one last year too, and they ended up nine and four. I do feel that there is a different vibe to this team of how well Gardner Minshew is playing. Yeah, I mean, if you get to the end of the season and you're a 12-1 Power 5 champ, you're obviously going to be on a very short list of candidates. But they're probably going to be at the back of the line because, you know, not only did they not play anybody out of conference, but, I mean, the Washington team in 2016, they didn't play anybody out of conference, but they had three or four wins in conference against teams that ended up in the top 25. You look at the Pac-12 now, how many Pac-12 teams... realistically are going to be in the final 
you know, on the final day of the season, ranked in the top 25. You know, Utah, I think, will certainly be there. They're playing exceptionally well. But I don't think Stanford's going to be there. Maybe Washington will still be there. Oregon, you know, after getting crushed by Arizona the other night, doesn't look like they're going to be there. So it's just, they're just not going to have a resume. I agree with you. I think that's well said. Before we leave the Pac-12, one other thing I know you both, you wanted to hit on it. Clay Hilton's future at USC does not look good. It's looking bleaker by the week. So any chance he saves his job? Zero. Zero point zero percent chance. Wow. Wow. They're four and four. It's the first time. What did Antonio, our guy, our guy Antonio Morales, write? I think he said that this is the first time since 2001, Pete Carroll's first season, that they go into November 500 or worse. You know, and they're games that they shouldn't be losing. Now, I know they were down to their third string quarterback the other day, but they are still expected to beat ASU at home. Certainly not supposed to get blown out by Utah. And it's just everybody's off the bandwagon. I mean, I know Saturday who was... was uh, who was on the bandwagon, Stu? Let's be realistic. Nobody was on. Nobody at USC was actually on the bandwagon, I think. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about nobody. N- he had nobody. His... Nobody at USC was on the bandwagon who mattered because the guy who was on the bandwagon before, Pat Hayden, is no longer in control. And so even though Clay Helton won, the, uh, won a Pac-12 title and won a Rose Bowl... And up till last weekend was undefeated in 19 games at, at the Coliseum. I think it was just waiting for a bad season before they ripped the Band-Aid off. And I think that's what's happening now that there's no Sam Darnold. And That's why you know, I say 0.0. It was also the lowest. I know it was this like epic Saturday in L.A. sports and, and lots of places to be, including the World Series. But it was the lowest attended USC home game since 2001 as well. So, I, I mean, I don't think... The question at this point to me is not, is Clay Helton going to be fired? It's who can USC hire that will end this run of uninspired hires? You know, let you go after Pete Carroll. It's been Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, Clay Helton. Is this, will Lynn Swan finally break the chain and go hire, just go out and hire the best coach, not a guy with necessarily part of the USC family? Yeah, look, uh, there's a chance they could go back to the USC family. I don't know how it would break, but, like, would Pete Carroll ever come back? I don't know about that. You know, look, there's some people at USC I've heard who who really like Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson's going to be out of a job. That, to me, sounds like a huge head-scratcher. You must have missed the news this morning. Hugh Jackson is I out of a job. I said that. I said that. Okay. USC, some of the USC power brokers do really puzzling things. I if, can't, if, I, if USC fires Clay Helton to hire Hugh Jackson... They might as well just punt. They might as well say, you know what, we're, we're done trying to win national championships here. That would be the most uninspired thing you could possibly do. Look, I mean, I think there's going to be some people around USC who are going to go, look, we've, as, as you said, have shanked a couple of, off the driving range because we, we tried to get too cute and hire people who are close to us. Do we go after a James Franklin, somebody like that, who we think we'd have a shot to reel in? And, now you're talking. Okay. So now I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see. Right now, Clay Helton is still their coach. And I think the, the question, I had this conversation with somebody who's connected at USC on Sunday, which was if USC was going to make this move on Clay Helton, when would they make it? Because if you get rid of him and let's say you make T. Martin your interim head coach and T. Martin is the best recruiter they have on that staff by, by a mile – and T. Martin ends up, you know, leading them to a three and uh, three and zero, oh, or if they did, did it this week, which they're not going to, I don't think. 
then four and zero. Then you then they run the risk of oh here's another interim guy who's had success and he's got some momentum and the recruits really like him, and so I think they're in that they're in that uh, position where I don't think they want to create their own dilemma if there's people thinking that direction already, which I think there are. Well, they already whiffed on that once. You know, they could have just given Ed Orger on the job, and because he had a great second half to that season. I know that some USC fans are starting to pine for Jeff Brom. And I don't think Jeff Brom, I, I could be, this words could come back to bite me. We, you and I both think Jeff Brom is a phenomenal coach. Mm-hmm. I think there is a better chance Louisville can get, get out of Bobby Petrino's contract and fire him and take Jeff Brom. I think there's a better chance Jeff Brom would, might stay at Purdue, or there's a better chance Jeff Brom, like if I'm the Cleveland Browns, I'm calling Jeff Brom and trying to get him. Don't you think the Cleveland Browns are going to be making a call to Lincoln Riley? They may. Look, they I mean, may. that Look, seems like a no-brainer. Because he had Baker Mayfield is the obvious one, yeah. He had Baker Mayfield, and he, know, I mean, I just think... Yeah, he's, never, he's never coached in the NFL at all at any level. He's never been around the NFL. Correct, and there's obviously a history of, I mean, people, oh, they tried Chip Kelly, that didn't work. You know, there's the, the obvious skepticism toward college coaches making the transition to the NFL, but there's also an infatuation right now because of Baker, and more so because of Pat Mahomes. Hey, we should tee up your story here in a second. There's just a, a fascination with that offense, with the air raid. Speaking so of which. There's nobody, there'd be nobody you, better to hire to run that. Actually, there is one person better to hire. Mike Leach? Mike Leach is having a ridiculously good year. You're Mike the Leach to the Brown. NFL? You're the Cleveland Browns. You have screwed up everything at every possible turn. I mean, I don't know. Is it? It's the craziest thought in the world. You're the Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mike Leach was the only Power Five school. It wasn't really Mike Leach's idea. It was Eric Morris's on his staff. But they did offer Baker Mayfield six years ago. Now, you know, Mike Leach is is full on nuts. But he was in a great a... mood Saturday night. Let me tell you. So, what do you think of that idea? Um, I'm not saying. By the way, I, I should preface this because I I am not saying. There is any, like, Mike Leach, nobody who works with Mike Leach, nobody who's connected to Cleveland Browns, nobody has speculated anything of there's any interest on any part. So this is just, you were talking about Gardner Minshew, I was looking at the Browns stuff, and I was like, all right, let me throw this at Stu and see what he thinks. I, no, I cannot picture Mike Leach in the NFL. I'm not saying can you picture him in. How do you think, like, if you're the Browns, how do you think, how do you think that would work? Well, you have to... Keep in mind that the Browns are a notoriously incompetent franchise, so who knows what they're thinking. But in terms of, why don't, you, why don't I answer it this way? Would it make sense for the Cleveland Browns to look at Mike Leach? Yes, it would make sense for them to look at it. It's just, I don't know. Like, you can't, in the NFL, you can't go to Key West for, for weeks at a time and, and coach the team. You, you actually can. I mean, he doesn't have to worry about recruiting in Cleveland. But there's this. But in the NFL, you're supposed to be sleeping at your office. You're supposed to be evaluating tape all hours of the day. Like that's that's just the culture of the NFL. And I, he doesn't. He's just not that. Like he's, you know, I mean, look, he's had a heck of a career at two different schools, and yet he's still at Washington State, not, uh, you know, Florida or LSU or wherever. You know, should us here? Let's do it more realistically. No, should USC no. hire Mike Leach? Absolutely not. Well, how does he make more sense for the Cleveland Browns than a team in his own conference? Because with USC, there's a lot of other factors that go into it as a college coach. In the NFL, it's just football. 
And let me give you another um, interesting name I've heard as a possibility for USC, Kyle Whittingham. Look, I, you know, I think Kyle Whittingham is a terrific coach. He's 59 years old. I mean, look, Leach is right around that age now, too. But I don't know. He's only really coached there all that time. I, I, look, if USC hired Kyle Whittingham, that wouldn't be a bad hire. I mean, because all the stuff that USC isn't good at, Kyle Whittingham would fix. Yeah, USC. Toughness, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think USC fans, you know, some, some fan bases want somebody who will come in and light up the scoreboard and throw the ball 60 times. USC fans want somebody who, in the spirit of, you know, John McKay, John McKay. will run. Punch student, somebody in the face. Punch somebody yeah. in the face. Student body left, student body right. Kyle Whittingham's teams are, you know, without question, some of the most physical in the country year in and year out. Now, my only question would be, you know, Utah is a school that finds the hidden gems. Can he recruit five-star kids, top five classes? That That's the expectation at USC. But in terms of as a football coach, I think, and he's from, we should mention, he's from Southern California. He is he, and he isn't. His dad was an NFL player. He was born there. It's not, I mean, he spent a, most of his life in Utah. He's not, I mean, I, I know what Wikipedia says, but he's, he's really, I mean, he hasn't spent that much time in Southern okay. California. Well, fair enough. But, you know, in terms of just as a football coach, that would be intriguing. I don't know. I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this more whenever they make the move. I mean, frankly, I don't think there's any real advantage to them firing Clay Elton before the end of the end of the regular season, but um, I don't know. It's a complete mystery there what they're going to do. Okay, let's look ahead. LSU-Bama, Saturday night, Baton Rouge. I will be there. Number one versus number four. I wrote all about this in the forward pass lead, and it seems like I'm the only person in America who thinks this is going to be a game. Uh, you know, I, I, there's there's a, the Vegas people don't think it's going to be a game at all. I mean, I I threw a lot of stats into that column to try to tell people that hey, it, you it may be right. They may beat them forty five to ten like they have everybody else. I don't know, but there's some things to be aware of. A, as great as Tua has been, as amazing as that offense has been, not a single one of those first eight opponents currently ranks higher than ninetieth in the country in yards per play allowed. And yes, Alabama's, whatever Alabama did to them counts toward that. But I mean, we're eight games into the season at this point. It's not, it's not affecting that, you know, that disproportionately. Okay. Stat number two. And by the way, you should go to theathletic.com and read these stats and part of this column. Some great, we, one of the things I love, right, that we're doing this year is we have a partnership with Sports Info Solutions and we can get pretty much, you name the stat, we have access to it. So I wanted to know what Tua's, production has been this year when pressured, which obviously is not very often because he's about to face a defense that may actually be able to hit him. And believe it or not, Tua under pressure goes from being a 70.4% passer to a 46.3% passer. Now he has still thrown eight touchdowns when pressured. So it's like he's, he's terrible, but it'll be interesting to see what happens if Dave Aranda and those can guys I, uh, can get to can, him. Can I stop you on that point there? Yes. Caleb on Chasson, who is LSU's best pass rusher by a lot he's been out since the start of the year he got hurt in the miami game he's out for the season they really miss him lsu's mm -hmm. defense is outstanding the one weakness they have is they struggle to get pressure on the quarterback michael divinity has really improved this year he's probably their best pass rusher are you familiar with grant delpit I, Stu, i'm more familiar with lsu than probably anybody will have on the podcast at this point 
that guy, Greg, that guy gets to the quarterback and then does everything else as well. Well, that guy may have to. Here's the problem: if you're LSU, they're going to play better slot receivers and better receivers than they have seen this year. I mean, that's going to put a lot of pressure. As good as Christian Fulton and Greedy Williams are at the corners, you're also going to be. We haven't said this yet. Devin White, who's one of probably two best yep, linebackers in the country, the he's going to be out for the first half of this first half of this game. So I just think. Because they have a hard time getting pressure on the quarterback and because Alabama is so good at receiver right now with really guys who thrive in space and good out of the slot, that's a problem for Dave Aranda. Now he's got an extra week to try to figure something out. But, um, talk, you know, I have a story that's coming out on The Athletic in a day about just what makes Tua so special. And I've talked to a lot of people who face Tua and also some who have played both teams and the feeling on this, or seen a lot of both teams, I should say, is that LSU is pretty pedestrian on offense. As as nice as Joe, Joe Burrow has played, as good as those running backs have been, I mean, they can't, it's a stretch to think LSU can win a game 35-31, in, even in Tiger Stadium. I just don't see that happening. But as you said, one thing we haven't seen, and this has come up a little bit from some of the people I've talked to, talked to is, there are times where they think Tua can be a little careless with the ball. He was careless in the game where he was the hero against Georgia. He got away with it. But if LSU can do that on the road and put him in a place where he really hasn't been, then you see how Alabama responds. Um, yeah. I don't know. Tua, understandably, at this point, probably feels like he can get away with just about anything because nobody has stopped him. So yeah, that's, that's a possibility. We would agree LSU is a good running team. Alabama has had the number one or two rushing defense in the country the past three seasons, but this year they are 29th. They are uh, a little bit mortal there. And then just the last one that, that I came across that's a historical stat, for anybody who thinks that Alabama just automatically is going to go there and score 40 or 45 or 50, Alabama has not scored more than 21 points in regulation of a game at LSU since 2002. It's just throwing that out there. I think at the end of the day, you brought up a key point, Joe Burrow been a nice story but at the end of the day he's the 13th rated passer in the sec the team that finally beats alabama if that happens this year is going to have an elite quarterback like deshaun watson two years ago who can i mean it's a still a very very inexperienced alabama secondary so i think it's got to be a guy who can throw downfield and take advantage of that can i uh, transition for selfish purposes since you just said elite quarterback to something sure Let's talk about my story for a second. Up on the <laughs> well, I did mean to cue you up on that rather than you having to self-promote yourself. It's okay. We're sh- we're shameless at the athletic because it's a subscription site. No, so, I'm really um, I'm really excited about this story. So this weekend, we we both noticed this on the calendar a while back. Oklahoma plays Texas Tech Saturday night, and then in the NFL on Sunday, Baker Mayfield plays Pat Mahomes. And the last time those two met, you take it from there. That was the first game I, I worked with Brady Quinn and Joe Davis for Fox. And obviously there was a lot of fireworks with Baker. I mean, the FU chance, because he was making his first game back in Lubbock after leaving there with a lot of rancor, was, was wild. The fans were into it. Baker was into it. It was just a crazy scene. And OU jumped out to a 13 nothing lead. And from that point on, it was a crazy shootout where there were really no stops and um, so to revisit that night, I ended up talking to about 30 plus people and you get some interesting comments, you know, both defensive coordinators, uh, Mike Stoops, who's now no longer at OU, as, as everybody knows, and David Gibbs, who's probably the one of the 
better people to interview because he is brutally honest and self-effacing and really good about stuff like this. They were god awful that year on defense. And the one of the things that, and I think uh, Teddy Lehman, old terrific OU linebacker who was who at the time was OU's sideline reporter on the radio call, pointed out, you know, as great as Baker was, and and Teddy thinks Baker's fantastic. He was like, a lot of stuff was easier for him. Pat Mahomes was doing ridiculous stuff because he's he's. You know, getting pressured, he's shaking off 330-pound Neville Gallimore, and he's, you know, taking two steps and slinging it off platform 40 yards downfield. I mean, they were 20 of 25 on third down, which is insane. Both teams, 854 total yards. Mahomes threw for 734, ran for almost 100 more. And as we reported in the story, not only did so with a sprained shoulder, which had been bothering him the whole year, he, he broke his wrist in that game and still did it. So... It was a fun story to work on at times. Sometimes it wasn't so much fun, but uh, but it was interesting. And as we're taping this podcast, I got one detail that I'm going to try to shoehorn into the story. <laughs> so there were four NFL scouts who were at the game, and I reached out to three of the four, and I got one of them who was an older scout for the Chargers, Tom McConaughey, who, you know, he wasn't, as a lot of people, he wasn't the biggest fan of the display of defense in that game. Well, kind of cringe. Now, he loved Pat Mahomes loved him and stood on the table for him. And the one thing he said was just make sure he doesn't end up in our division. He ended up in their division as a rival. So that's not good. But as we're taping this, one of the other scouts got back to me after a little while and said, Hey Bruce, I was scheduled to attend that game and made it to the parking lot, but never went in because of food poisoning. The thing I remember most of that night is never eat oysters in Amarillo, Texas. Wish I could be of more of help because how magical night that how magical that night was. But unfortunately for me, it was com- the complete opposite. I think you need to update the story and get that in there. That's an amazing detail. You know, probably even more so than than Pat Mahomes' brother getting kicked out for throwing a tortilla at Baker Mayfield. Yes, uh, that's, that's that's remarkable. Uh, I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but that's that's a crazy response you got. Look, I'm I'm one of the many who at the time was guilty of just looking at that 66-59 score and, and the fact that, you know, it was like 10 straight touchdown drives and just saying, well, that's Big 12 defenses for you. You know, and, and obviously Texas Tech, as you said, they fully would admit they were not good on defense that year. But I think we need to now look back and say those are two pretty special quarterbacks going head-to-head and as they will this coming Sunday. We got some great mailbag questions this week. Let's get to it. All right. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Where do we start? Let's start with Joe Simmons from Greenville, South Carolina. Stu and Bruce, every year, the first playoff rankings, by the way, which is Tuesday night, have a couple eye-opening discrepancies between what they value and what the AP voters think. In your estimate, what teams will be a few spots higher in the playoff rankings than the AP poll? Conversely, which teams will be a few spots lower? Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Can I let me take the teams I think will be higher? Good, because I want I was add some teams that will be lower. Okay. I'm gonna have an SEC flavor in this. I'm gonna say, let's start off at the the top end of that poll. I think Kentucky at number eleven will actually be higher than uh, than that. I think they may be in the top ten. Because they have a double-digit win at Florida. That's a really good win. They blew out Mississippi State 28-7. to That's an, a really, really good win. You know, South Carolina is a, has a winning record 4-3. and three. They beat them by two touchdowns. That's all good stuff. And their only loss is in overtime at Texas A&M. 
who's ranked. So that's I think they're going to be higher than that. I think Florida at number 13 because they have that win over LSU. I think they might be a little higher. And then speaking of our our friend Kyle Whittingham, I think his Utah Utes will be higher than number 16. I don't know if they'll be that much higher, but I think they'll be I think they may be in the top 15. I agree on all three of those. Uh, Kentucky will be ahead of of the teams that are above them in the AP poll right now. They will be ahead of Washington State and UCF and possibly even Ohio State, who, who somehow rose three spots on their bye week this week. My, uh, the, my takeaway, uh, looking at this AP poll, so there was, it was a historic uh, week. I guess seven teams entered the AP poll that weren't there before, and, and that was a record. And it was included a bunch of group of five teams. Well, as you know, the committee has not been kind to group of five teams because they value schedule strength so much. So I'm going to tell you right now, Utah State, 18th in the AP poll. Great story. I would be surprised if they're any higher than 24th or 25th, if they're in there at all. Houston debuts. Houston could, could be. Houston, by the way, Bruce, is now my pick to be the group of five representative. I mean, they are rolling people. And I even saw that in person uh, when they played Arizona. I think they're going to beat UCF. I've seen it in person, not them rolling people, but I saw D.R. King at Lubbock in the only game they lost. He was really good. Uh, He's he's fantastic. Their defense was not up to the task. But I do think, look, Major Applewhite, not to go too too far down the road on this, Major Applewhite made... A, a controversial hire, quite honestly. Kendall Bryles, we know about, you know, the baggage from the Baylor days. It's not a, it was not a, um, I don't know how to uh, how to even describe it. You know, it was, it was a hire that a lot of people are going to like kind of shriek at a little bit. But their offense is really good, really, really good. And Kendall Bryles, the offense coordinator, I mean, that's reality. I mean, he's done a very, very nice job with their offense. And, uh majors got it going there yeah they'll they won't be uh 17th they'll be in there i don't think they'll be 17th and you know and of the power fives i wouldn't be surprised if west virginia is a little lower than 12th they're six and one one lost team they'll probably be as i'm looking at this now the ap as they often do went in straight order of losses i wouldn't be surprised if west virginia is behind a couple two lost teams florida for one possibly possibly the texas team that they're playing this week um, just because those other teams have you know, big signature wins on their resume. But uh, yeah, Tuesday night, it's always an interesting uh, week now in college football, the first time we get a crack at those rankings. It's also, keep in mind, uh, new chairman, Rob Mullins from Oregon, and six of the 13 members are new. So as much as we love to try to use past results to predict the future with the committee, that's a lot of new people. That's a lot of new blood. Uh, They might look at things differently than committees of the past that's what i that's what i always said i feel like i said that to you like a week or two ago you're like well if we've learned anything i'm like we haven't learned anything because it's always it's always rip it up and let's make it up as we go along honestly you know i i have spent a lot of time and energy over the last four years analyzing the committee and i I guess i'm a little bit of a cynical state right now after last year after they put in you know alabama which didn't have a resume just because they thought they were one of the four best which they probably were and as they certainly proved I'll believe it when I see it. If there's any that they actually do something more nuanced than pick the four best teams, I mean, pick the four teams with the best records. Yeah, I'm with you. 
Okay, from Juan Martinelli. Love the pod, Stu Bruce. Thoughts on Miami's offense and bad QB situation in year three of Mark Rick. We should have put them in that conversation about disappointing teams. Uh, I will say this. I mean, look, I think Manny Diaz has done a terrific job on defense for Mark Rick. I think they're all, the offensive side of it has been very suspect. And they have some speed. Now, look, they've had some injuries. Amon Richards' you know, career took a bad turn. Jeff Thomas is a really dynamic receiver, but they've had some some concerns. They've been bad on the offensive line, and Mark Rick's son is on the offensive staff, so that makes it a little delicate if you're going to make some shifts. Thomas Brown, his offensive coordinator, is a guy he's been, you know, he's a former player of his. They are like 72nd in the country in yards per play, and when you look at what they've done, so they really got nothing accomplished against LSU. They did put up big yards against Savannah State, but come on, that's 77 to nothing at Savannah State. Did a nice job against a pretty good Toledo team. But then you start looking at who they, they only had They only had 350 yards against UNC in a game they blew them out. Struggle with Florida State. I think there are some pretty hard questions that need to get answered you know, by Mark Rick there because defensively, they're a lot better than they were before. And I think, you know, obviously a lot of people talked about the turnover chain and Manny's done a really good job making, you know, getting a lot of TFLs and, and putting pe- people behind the sticks. But they were winning with turnovers in defense last year and that can't couldn't carry them that long because their offense has been so inept. Just 27 points combined the last two weeks against UVA and Boston College. Like I said, some really hard questions. I think there's been, I'm not saying Mark Richt is on the hot seat because he is not, but I think they need to get better on offense soon or else he's going to have to make some moves or address some things that he probably doesn't want to do if this program is really serious about becoming a top 10 team again. The turnover chain was a great, great story last year. It was a lot of fun. But as I tried to warn people at the time, there was a lot of luck involved in turnovers and if you have a year where you get where you gain a disproportionate number of turnovers oftentimes the next year you're on the wrong end of it and uh so they're starting to you know we saw it towards the end of last year where they started to regress to the mean a little bit but i did expect them to be better this year i think he's really driving people nuts with this quarterback situation i mean he's coached a lot of great quarterbacks over the years you should probably trust his judgment on it but when you see you know what nikosi perry did when he was in there and then you see how badly Rozier's struggling, and yet he keeps telling everybody, nope, we're definitely sticking with, with Malik because he's given us the best chance to win. You know, it's, it's hard for the fans to, to stomach. Uh, this question is from Joel Teolro. Sorry, Joel, if I got that wrong. It's funny, I see this question, I immediately think about Mike Frances. Stu and Bruce, I love the pod. As always, keep going with the long episodes. Is it time, finally, for people to start realizing how underrated... Dino Babers is and what he has done at Syracuse. They have beaten a top 20 team in Virginia Tech in 2016, then 17. Then they beat a playoff team in Clemson. 2018, they had Clemson beat but came up just short in Death Valley, dominated Florida State, and just beat a ranked NC State team. And they already are already bowl eligible. Joel, good question. Joel, you are 100% right, Stu. Is oh, he? I mean, first of all, Syracuse aced that when they made the hire in the first place. Dino Babers was exactly what that program needed. And you saw some signs of it the first two years, but obviously, you know, they would get those big upsets and they couldn't put it all together. Uh, but now they're 6-2. and two. They are ranked for the first time since 2001. I feel like we've had a lot of first time since 2001s on this podcast. 
There's a great stat in the comments, actually, to Chris Manini's most interesting stats of the week. Bob H. said, Syracuse has scored 50-plus points four times this season. That's as many as in the previous 14 years combined. I mean, people forget just how miserable Syracuse football was for so long there. And so they're scoring points. They're winning games. They took Clemson to the wire at Death Valley. I think it's an exciting time to be a fan of the Orange. With you 100%. I mean, you know, they almost ended up with Chris Ash there. Chris Ash opted for the the Rutgers job. Chris Ash took – I didn't know that. Chris Ash chose Rutgers over Syracuse? Yeah, uh, facilities-wise, it was more attractive. And to be honest, the recruiting base is much better in New Jersey than it is in upstate New York. So I, I could understand that. Do you remember in um, 80s or early 90s, the Saturday Night Live skit, Bad Idea Jeans? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, we should get Chris Ash a, bad I- a pair of Bad Idea Jeans for that one. Bruce, let me tee you up here from Ian in Kirkland, Washington, who, by the way, I think is the fan that came up to you about the audible he was he had cute cute uh family i think he has a wife and two kids were there i want to say so your famous book meat market which came out what 10 years ago at this point where you were embedded with ogeron at ole miss if you could do it again in 2018 who would you embed with that's a good question so let me start on the front end and when i say that i mean from a book sales standpoint if you did anything with a place that had a humongous fan base attached to it, i.e. Ohio State, Notre Dame, Alabama, Texas, I think you have a chance to sell a lot of books because there's fascination there. What I loved most about doing the book around Ole Miss at the time was because, which didn't have obviously the huge fan base, but you had, one, a coach who was known as a great recruiter, which Ogeron is, and two, you had a fascinating character to take this narrative through. You know, if I, Georgia obviously had a bigger, much bigger fan base, and Mark Rick was bringing in big classes, but I don't think it would have been anywhere near as interesting a story. So having prefaced everything saying that, I would be looking for who's a very interesting character and who really cares about recruiting. Mike Leach is a very interesting character. When it comes to recruiting, it wouldn't be the same kind of book. So I would say just it has to be somebody who's a head coach who's all over recruiting and a head coach who's interesting. You know, Saban would certainly be a would be an obvious choice, and no matter how big the fan base is, it's still you know it's still good. I'm trying to think of somebody who's not that obvious, so like a Saban or an Urban Meyer or a Jim Harbaugh or Mike Gundy. Yeah, Mike Gundy's a- any anything like, invo- you want a character? How about the guy who went into a press conference the other night and asked about something involving Twitter, made a fart noise? Yeah, Mike Gundy's interesting. He he's viral. He's viral, Mike. I mean, viral video. <laughs> 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 stupid I didn't mean it that way Tom Herman the other guy who had the little I don't know if you'd call it a confrontation or whatever that was but Tom Herman is interesting you know because uh, he, he will Tom Herman's really interesting he'd actually be really high on my list of the ones who are not the totally obvious one I would throw some other ones Matt Campbell fascinated by how he does what he does how about Dabo because he's yeah Dabo was one of the obvious ones those yeah. two he was one of the four obvious ones I would have said you know Neil Brown is really interesting but again, the, the Troy is is so much smaller of a fan base that I think it's it's a tough it would be a tougher book sell to be honest. I mean, just for publisher's sake. But I think he has a really interesting perspective on things and how he approaches stuff. You know, I, like I said, Matt Campbell would be one who would fall into the 
not the traditional top 25 powerhouse program. I would put Gary Patterson in there, even though they've had a bunch of top 25 teams. I mean, when we do our meetings with Gary, he will tell you a lot of stuff about how he views things. And so I think he would be really, really interesting to to follow. And he'd probably be really exhausting to follow, but he would be very interesting to follow for for a couple of years. I'm thinking of trying to think of somebody who's maybe not that. I, I would right now like to see Scott do that on Scott Frost in Nebraska. Yeah. Huge fan base, thirsty as could be for, for, for that stuff. And we've seen he has a good eye for talent with, with some of this stuff. I'd, I mean, Chip Kelly is a no-brainer for me on that too. You know, and because he's, he's, you know, the expression, he's not suffering fools. He's not putting up with a kid who, you know, one thing I hear a lot from coaches is how much social media has changed dealing with recruits and the timetable. And it frustrates a lot of coaches. I don't think Chip Kelly's going to put up with a lot of stuff that a lot of the other coaches might to get a four star. So I would put him high on the list as well. Yeah, I think there would be a lot different book. I mean, obviously, the recruiting culture has changed completely social media being a big part of that. I also think people would want to see how certain staffs use advanced, you know, they use some staffs are now using analytics or, you know, certain programs to help refine recruiting. Obviously the support staffs are much bigger. You know, the, the, you you got, did, did I assume LSU at that time did not have like a player personnel department. I'm sorry, Ole Miss. If you go to one of these bigger programs, there's a whole infrastructure now of people devoted to recruiting. So, Well, they did. I mean, they had, at Ole Miss at the time, like one of the early personnel guys they had was Kent McLeod, who's really good. He's David Cutcliffe's right-hand guy. He's done a good job there. I mean, you ask Ed Ogeron, who's one of the best people in the business in that, he will tell you Kent is. He's really smart, and he would do a lot of his studies and analytics, I mean, for lack of a better term, work. And he had a staff under him. It wasn't as big and I don't want to say bloated as w- what you see at a lot of places now, but you know he had people working for him who do that, and so it's a lot's changed though. A lot has definitely changed, especially with the social media aspect of it. Finally, we heard from our friend Jason Gorluski for the first time in a while, and he gave us a compliment that I just wanted to put out there. He said the podcast sounds awesome. I can't believe people are complaining about a free podcast. So there was a little echo. Big deal. It's a free podcast. It's not like you're watching Avatar on IMAX. You guys shouldn't have to apologize for any sound issues. It'd actually be hardcore if you were to do the pod in a fire station or an emergency room. Now there's some sound issues. Would you want to try that sometime? Sure. I, I feel think like it'll work. So. Well, I feel like some of our some of our past episodes have sounded like that to some degree. No, appreciate it, Jason. But I gotta say. All podcasts are free, as far as I know, and that doesn't mean there shouldn't be a certain sound quality, which we will be giving you very soon. Uh, you being on the road this week was not an ideal week to to break out the new the new system. Shoutouts? Why don't you go first, because you always make me go first. My shout-out goes to the Oregon State Beavers, who have been just absolutely miserable for the last couple years, and there is no reason to think... Otherwise, on Saturday, when they got down 31-3 on the road to Colorado, and they somehow managed to come back and win that game in overtime. Should have ended, should have uh, won it in regulation, missed an extra point. But they went on to win it in overtime and break a very long road drought. So congratulations to Jonathan Smith. All right, Stu. My shout-out goes to Wake Forest Matt Colburn. This is the ultimate come-up in story. 
the Wake Forest running back rushed for 243 yards and three touchdowns as Wake Forest demolished Bobby Petrino's Louisville team 56 to 35. Why is this such a big deal? Because for Colburn, he had actually been committed to play for Louisville and Bobby Petrino pulled his scholarship two days before signing day and wanted him to gray shirt, which would meant he would have had to be part of the following year's class. So he got the last laugh on Petrino. And by the way, he's had a really nice career at Wake Forest, over 2,000 yards. He was a former Mr. Football finalist in the state of South Carolina. And two of his, now that's the second time he has gone over the 100-yard mark against Louisville. Last year, they beat them 42 to 32 and he had 134 yards rushing shout out to matt colburn you were probably got a lot of big, big fans because bob Petrino is not the most popular guy in football yeah i think people kind of enjoy when there's some comeuppance there at his expense and boy you talk about how how quickly college football can change two years ago 2016 i covered a game at clemson lamar jackson against deshaun watson went right down to the wire clemson stopped louisville just a receiver just short of the chains on fourth down on what could have been the game-winning drive. Well, the two teams reunite on Saturday at Clemson, and Dabo's team is a 37-point favorite. And you're going to take the... Um, no. Uh, let me think for too a second. Too soon, too soon, huh? Well, they just see they just beat Florida State 59-10. to After thinking about it, um, I like the Tigers. I like the Tigers to cover 37, believe it or not. Trevor Lawrence going to have himself a game. By the way, uh, speaking of Clemson, do you know they got a couple of votes, number one votes in that po- in the coaches poll? No, I didn't. Six- I guess I didn't realize that, but, you know, I'm fine with that. I, I think, I frankly think that this would be a good year to have the BCS because because I think it should be, I think it's going to be Alabama-Clemson. Okay, we can talk about that much more later. Um, I just think those, those are the two, and I think that they're very, you know, that Clemson is very much... If Clemson were to play Alabama tomorrow, I by no means would think Alabama's definitely going to win. All right. We can talk about that much later on still. So Much later on. We'll have time for that leading into January. All right. Uh, everybody enjoy the uh, the playoff show Tuesday night. There's actually some great games in the middle of the week this week, starting with some action. Now that baseball's over, we can all watch college football pra- practically every night of the week. We'll see you next time. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to The Audible at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producer, Nick Fink, and we'd like to thank Kevin and the Octaves for our intro song, Dangerous. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, what are you waiting for? Read both myself and Bruce and all our other great writers there. Go to theathletic.com slash theaudible and get 25% off. You can also follow our coverage at The Athletic CFB. You can follow me at SL Mandel, follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. We'll see you next time.
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.